Hello and welcome back to It Came From Beyond the Podcast. Hello. Hello Hi. everyone. Welcome. Uh, this is your host Martin Dunlop and I'm your host Neil Sinclair. Um, we got some great films for you today. Yeah. What's <laughs> a nice way? It's a spotty lineup. It is, it is, it is. Very spotty. It has, it has moments, right? So what we're doing is we're doing Splinter. We're doing, in, is it Splinters or Splinter? Splinter. It's just Splinter. Splinter. We're doing In the Mouth of Madness. We're doing Sleepaway Camp. And It's Alive. So very, like, there's a lot of mm. variety. Like, there's pretty much yeah. from different decades. Spotty, spotty like, a, like a 14-year-old in a fast food restaurant. Like a 14-year-old at Camp Sleepaway. Oh. <laughs> um, all right, but first we're going to go with, with Splinter. Um... Now, Splinter's a, a... I thought it was a pretty cool little film. Yeah. Um, do you um, want to do the rundown? Yeah, go on. I'll do, I'll do a little bit of what, it, what happens. This couple, they've gone away camping. One's a nature expert. The other one is his girlfriend. I didn't mean very, to... very rough and ready girlfriend. Oh, yeah. She's keen to get into it. She does the driving. He doesn't drive stick. And uh, they get kidnapped on the side of the road. And it's out in the wilderness. And it's, it's night time. And then they run over this weird-looking... They, they get kidnapped by an escaped convict. That's never quite yeah. made clear. And his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, who's probably a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And um, they run over a dog, and they go and see this dog. And then the convict looks at the tyre, because it bursts the tyre, because it's got a little spike on it. And it gets splintered with the spike. And then they get to a petrol station, and there's a weird man in the toilet saying, kill me, kill me. Oh, there's spoilers. We should mention that. Yeah. We, we on, always get like the title through. of the podcast, spoilers. Yeah, yeah, it is. But we, we give away all of the endings and stuff. So, all right. So, uh, he's saying, please kill me, kill me. And then uh, he starts to kind of move in this very insect-like way at them. And they run into the, the petrol station. And it turns out he's infected with a, like a moss or a virus or yeah. something that is taking over his body, and it's through the little splinters, hence the name Splinters, and there's all kinds of ruckus happening outside, and they're hiding inside, and they... The policewoman turns up. Yeah, looking for the escaped convict. Looking for the escaped convict, whose girlfriend has been infected, and starts trying to attack everything. And then a hand comes off, and a hand comes to life, and starts trying to attack everything. Um, and then the, the policeman gets killed by the the thing, the person thing outside. Yeah. And um, then they, they cut his arm off. The, the convict's been infected by the splinter and his arm's getting infected. And so they cut his arm off in a brutal scene. Oh, my God. So it's a rough one. Um, and, and then eventually they... Uh, uh, they escape the convict uh, yeah. sacrificing himself as a distraction. Yeah. And they drive one in the car while the petrol station explodes behind them. And yes. the final cutaway is to a fox or something in the forest that's clearly already mutating with the splinter, with the implication being typical horror movie implication yeah. that this is going to continue. This will continue. Or a sequel is abound. Mm. Which, uh, fortunately, there, there hasn't been a sequel. And I say fortunately because I, I picked this film. Yeah, the week, and I picked it because it's a great monster. The Splinter virus is a wonderful thing. It's an awful, horrible. The descriptions, uh, like the, to describe what happens when it takes you over, you get stuck by the splinter, uh, sort of like a wood splinter in your finger, and then it runs through your bloodstream 
and you'll get more splinters busting out through other parts of your body. Yeah. And as it takes over, it, it hunts heat and noise. The noise is symbolised by the splinters vibrating. Until, even yeah. if you're dead, it will move your body towards the nearest heat and noise source yeah. to try to infect it as well. Uh, like a moss, which is referenced by the nature character, and the naturist character in the film. Yeah, the... Naturist. Not naturalist. It's not a naked man. Right? He, he <laughs> yeah. won't last five seconds because he's got no protection. Yeah, yeah, um, not at all. But I like, like, I like the fact that the na- naturist um, mm. is... He's a geek, but he saves the day. Like, it's good to have a non-action hero hero. Well, it's a, it, uh, it's a very economical film. They only want... There's really only five characters, if you count the policewoman, yeah. the man who dies at the very start of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, th- there's, only, there's only five characters, and so they need a character to kind of explain what's going on. Otherwise, it would be four people who didn't understand anything yeah. dying in a room. Yeah. Good touch of exhibit... Ex- not exhibition, exposition. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, so it, it explains a little bit, but not too much. Fortunately, the uh-huh. film never really goes into what the splinter stuff is, which makes yeah, it got no idea where it comes from. Yeah, a little bit more frightening. There's a line about how the forests surrounding them are, for you know, hundreds of years old or have never been touched by human hands. So there's yeah. some kind of implication, but it never goes too in depth into it. There's also a shot early on of a uh, be careful uh, new pesticides. In effect, ah, that may be somehow related. That's cool. Mm. I didn't see that. Um, what this film really reminds me of is: Do you remember the the Creep Show, the original film Creep Show? Yeah. You know, there's that um, story where Stephen King plays a farmer who finds a comet, and the moss starts to grow on him, and then it starts to grow all over. Mm. Like when that guy's been infected and it's starting to kind of grow up him and just kind of like take him over, it reminds me a lot of that. And I found that very hard to watch when I was a child. So that used to disturb the hell out of me. Mm. Um, Creepshow is a great source of like early, uh, they call it on TV tropes, nightmare fuel. Like stuff you remember, the the uh, the boyfriend and girlfriend coming out of the ocean. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. Oh, yeah. And the the thing on the, the, the tray with the head of the cake on it. Give me my cake. Anyway, enough about Creep Show. <laughs> Splinter. Which is a great film. Yeah. Splinter. I was expecting it to be a bit shitty. And I was so pleasantly surprised. Like, mm. it was a really... It was a tense film at times. I, I was going, ah, at moments. My, my argument is, like, I again, I, I specifically picked this. I had seen it before. I feel it's not... Objectively, it's not a good film because my one of my rules for horror films is people can't get hurt doing stupid things. It has to be that the the menace, the enemy, is so terrifying and so awful that no matter how clever you are or how smart you are, it gets you anyway. Twenty eight days later is yeah. a great example of that trope. Yeah. Um, in Splinter, people do get hurt because they're doing stupid things. Um, certainly the the convict trying to get his girlfriend outside of the glass after she's already been infected yeah, but and they refusing don't know. to believe what's gone wrong they don't know they them. take too long figuring it out in, in my eyes and they also don't after the thing on the road try, tries to attack the girlfriend they, they take too long to put the pieces together even after finding the guy in the toilets the girlfriend finds a guy in the toilets and says that something's gone very wrong yeah. they're not quite upset enough and the policewoman also she's confronted with three people inside the petrol station screaming that something else is wrong yeah, and she okay. doesn't listen to any of them which is yeah that, that, that's, a little, that's a little frustrating but I do still admire this I admire it purely because 
the central creature is so awful, and clearly the filmmaker of this, who hasn't done much else, he did The Grudge 3, which was a straight-to-video sequel to The Grudge, yeah, yeah, and yeah. some episodes of Teen Wolf. And he's a bit of a special effectsy guy, is he? Yeah, Toby yeah. Wilkins is yeah. the name, and I'd, I'd certainly I'd love, I'd love to see him uh, try something else. Yeah. But... Uh, I, you know, I, I still, I still felt that this, you, you'll either wait, it's a great horror film with a visceral reaction. It's not a psychological horror, this is about a gross thing that sticks in your mind. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, it, a lot of, some scenes, like, this guy's obviously very well versed in horror, like, some scenes reminded me of Aliens, and some scenes reminded me of The Thing. Like yeah, the, the monster certainly. Yeah, the, when the bits drop off and then come to life and then attack as well. But when the hands and the arms... The, like, the line from the thing when the guy's head runs off, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> that, yeah. when, the, when the girlfriend's two fingers come to life and start trying to, you know, uh, spit splinters onto them, that, that yeah. line comes to mind. Yeah. What it reminded me of, the, the bodies being taken over by the splinters, was a footage of a decomposing fox... Like there's been several over the over the like they they uh, nature documentaries putting a camera on a dead animal and seeing what happens next. Yeah. And what happens next is like maggots and other insects like just claw away at the flesh and everything. And when you watch this movie, the effect the splinter has on a body looks like that. It's got that really unsettling like the. The, the eyes almost exploding and the the bones breaking so that yeah. the moss can get to deeper things. It's really upsetting and uncanny yeah yeah okay cool that is I've never really seen a video of a decomposing fox but I do see what you're talking about with uh, just watching things kind of just decompose and watching that like the well, the creature take over the body when, accelerated decay when one thing that kind of got me is when it took over the policewoman right and it did take over the policewoman because it then shows her up on the roof and it joins the policewoman back together because she's been torn in half um, it it left it left the rest of her. I think there's a line about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It took yeah, but it um, oh no, it didn't join it. Oh, I get it. It joined the, the policewoman to the the bigger the creature was becoming a bigger creature because it joined her to something. Yeah, like, no, it, well, it joined her to what was left of the girlfriend and the man in the windshield. Ah, uh, yeah. It like the thing. It keeps accumulating bits. Yeah, yeah. Build itself yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. Which, um, decomposing animals again, like if you have a big pit full of dead animals, which I'm sure you do, Yeah, obviously, this if you have a big pit full of dead animals and you come back to it after several months, uh, you'll see that the, the carrion creatures, the worms and the maggots and everything else will basically, like, tear that into a new shape and form so it's it's easier to, to consume and to make use of. Yeah. And that's what this the Splinter does in the movie, but obviously much quicker. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't watch a film that went for six months to watch that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they wouldn't have stayed in the petrol station for six months. Mm. They'd have just gotten out and walked away. One thing that I kind of found a little bit annoying was the relationship between the the couple and the kidnapper. But they became good friends pretty quickly after a yeah. while. Uh, I kind of I forgave it because the film was such a, like a roller coaster ride of a film, and I forgave its super cheesy ending, like super cheesy. Oh, but like the film is so good, you're like, that's okay, just keep going. And it only goes for ninety minutes, and the director he intentionally picks one set, one setting, one location, yeah, so that you're crammed in there, you get all the tension, and it is. That makes it a proper successor. You start out in the 
19, late 50s, certainly. Um, I don't want to put a year on it, but it's Rio Bravo came yeah. out, which was a cowboy film that was all set in prison. Except it's not quite when you go back and watch it. It's actually set in a whole bunch of places. But people okay. remember Don Living set in a prison. Yeah. Years later, you have Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. George Romero's film about people trying to defend a house full of zombies. And mm-hmm. that tension is brought. Uh, inspired by that was Assault on Precinct 13 by John Carpenter. And then that's been repeated several times over the years until you end up with Splinter. Well, uh, on the way past Evil Dead... Yeah. Which there is a little bit of a homage to Evil Dead 2 when the hand's running around trying yeah. to get everyone. That's very Evil Dead 2 yeah. like. No, I, de- I definitely thought of that. Um, but yeah, like with the hour and 20 minutes thing, that is a great, that is a great time for a horror film. Like there's no, there's no fat. It's all yeah. like just bam, 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 bam. For a film that's almost like a tech demo of like, look at what we can do, which yeah. is what the splinter virus is. Um, I was reading a review of it and someone complained that there's a lot of shaky cam when someone's actually been infected by the splinter. You don't get a, a very good look at them. But I I don't know if this only happens if, if you know you need to know more about filmmaking, but I do know that there's no way they had the money to give you a good look at this thing. Yeah. So I feel what they do instead is entirely forgivable. Absolutely. They they give you glimpses yeah. and you make the rest up in your mind. It's, it's a horror film. What, what, what they show is awful and, and sticks to you when you're never taken out of the film. We'll be talking about It's Alive later on as to how that can go wrong. Yeah. But for this one, I, I feel it works quite well. Um, the acting's great, especially since, as I mentioned, characters have to do things that don't really make sense. Yeah, and it's really good. Everyone right. in the film really tries, so they sell it to you, even if afterwards you think, that doesn't, that was dumb. Yeah. But while you're watching, they sell you. It's quite, quite Yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, um, yeah, it is, it is really good acting, and I think we're going to get to, um, a, a couple of films later on where that wasn't always <laughs> the case. Um, yeah, I reckon, like... I would really recommend it. When mm. I saw the video case for it in the video shops years and years ago, like 2008, 2009, I always thought, ah, oh, it, it doesn't do it justice. The video case doesn't do it justice. No. It looks like it's going to be a really shitty film, but it's actually pretty awesome. My, my personal roughest bit, like the scene where they amputate the ex-con inside is horrible. Yeah. My personal most un- unhappy bit is... Um, uh, when the policewoman gets the splinters on her face. And it's oh, only yeah. it's only a brief moment, and it's actually not what kills her. She gets ripped to pieces by the monster. Yeah. But just wiping, like, the, the the little bits off your head and seeing, like, the blood smear on your hand. Yeah. There's something just horrible about that pure viscera. And having, like, sharp, thorny splinters... Dropping into someone's face like that—that's a—that—that's that, one of the things that makes you go, oh, mm. that's that's yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of things in this. The fact that it is about splinters and splinters are such a little mm. thing that you know when you get when you're like, oh shit, and you realise you've got to pull it out by yourself, and there's yeah. that horrible feeling like this is going to hurt and it's going to look gross, and you have to, yeah, you know. I'm sure someone listening to this, in fact, is only able to maintain an erection while doing that. <laughs> so um, uh, please write in. But, yeah. uh, but for most people, quite not a not a nice thing. Yeah, and then if you if you break a splinter off and it's in there, you're like, oh shit, yeah. that's going to have to grow so out. You travel all the way to my heart yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh it's going to be the cause of my aneurysm there we are yeah um but uh yeah there, there, there are some real like there are some moments in this film that just make you just just cry out loud mm. um, turn away from the screen it's, yeah it's uh 
it's a great creep show. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It is. There's a lot of things in there that are going to stick with you. Not in a bad, not going to haunt you at night. It's not like, yeah. like not like. Uh, well, it's a bit, horror films have done this for ages. We mentioned Black Swan last episode, and Black yeah. Swan has all the scenes of like Sticking. ripping, ripping your quick off your finger. Which, yeah. You know, on a on a you know once ah. a year maybe someone will have to do that, and when you do it, it grosses you out. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's understanding. The stuff that always upsets us. So yeah. No matter how old we get or how long we live in these fragile carapaces, we never quite come to terms with um, some of the things that we have to do. Yeah. This, this, is, yeah. this plays on them. And also with the bit where they rip the man's arm off. Uh, that's that's great. That, in, in an 127 hours sort of way, yeah. certainly. They, they try to cut it off with a Stanley knife, and when that oh. fails to function, they just drop a breeze block on it. Yeah, don't worry, I'm just chopping your arm off. It's okay, we're cutting your arm off. Uh huh. He's quite talkative after that, which is I a little suspicious. And then he, <laughs> and then he, he, he pulls off a shooting, somebody throws him a shotgun, he grabs it and starts shooting at the beast. That's when, you know, forgive that. Forgive yeah. that, and it's a great film. Yeah. Forgive those little bits, and it is a brilliant film. Mm. Uh, but we should move on uh, to In the Mouth of Madness. Um, this is one of the ones I'm going to slobber over a bit. I, I love this. You I, love it? Watching it again, this this is another one where watching it again made me actually like it a lot more. Yeah, and okay. Uh, I've, only, I've seen it twice before, and I liked it both times, but I had my issues, and this time around I, I forgave it some of those issues, because I yeah. enjoyed it so much. All right. This is a, this is a good, fun roller coaster of a film. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to give the outline? Uh, okay. Uh, there's a, an insurance investigator is charged with finding an author for a publishing company who's been expecting this very successful horror writer's latest novel. Sutter Kane. So, Sutter Kane. Uh, following some brief episodes with uh, his former agent, uh, he heads into uh, the heart of America trying to find uh, where the man lives because the publishing company doesn't know where he lives. He finds the fictional type town the man writes about where he lives now in a giant Byzantine church in the middle <laughs> of the, in the heart of America. Uh, the town is very wrong. He meets with the author who uh, admits that he has been making himself a god through his writings, through using the power of the old ones that wait at the outside of our world. Just a quick preview, we're going to be talking a lot about Lovecraft yeah, after this one. Yeah. Uh, he returns to the city, sent insane by the things he's seen in the town, murders a teenager and winds up in an asylum, where he started the film, in fact. Yeah, yeah. That's it in flashback. And uh, heads outside of the asylum, everyone's either dead or gone insane, wanders into a cinema and sits down and starts to watch, dun dun dun, the film you're watching in the mouth of madness. Yeah. Um, so it, obviously you can probably pick where the problems are with that story. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, but it's it's so good though. Like it's it, like you say with Lovecraft, Stutter Kane is, Stutter Kane is like, if H.P. Lovecraft had the personality of a movie producer from the 80s. Yeah. Um, and this is written by the man who was the who ended up becoming the president of New Line Cinema. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, it was, was the guy who was in charge when they did Boogie Nights and Magnolia and, and a lot of other films and Blade. Uh, but I think he right. left before they did Lord of the Rings. So um, he likes them quite uh, dark and lengthy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's... Because uh, this film, it does, it's, 
it goes, I don't know, how, I can't remember how long it is, but it does seem like it goes on for quite a long time. But it's um, a big, ambitious film. It's got a lot of ideas. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Um, and it, the fact that it's kind of, it's being written by Sutter Kane as it's going. Mm. And so there are bits where people are like, oh, why don't I remember that person? And Sam Neill's like, well, I mean, obviously there's been a rewrite. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, it's, it's, it's real um, meta-y, out-of-the-box stuff. And, yeah. Which is, oh, I should have written down the name of the screenwriter. You, you can probably look it up. But uh, the, the screenwriter wrote this, and the, one of the other films that he wrote before becoming a big, important movie person was uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare which was the episode of Nightmare on Elm Street that implica- indicated that the Nightmare on Elm Street films are about a real demon. Freddy in the films is oh, a seven. demon in the real world, and yeah. the films give him power through the belief of the people who watch them, and he, if you stop making the films, he's just going to exist with us. So you have to keep making movies. Wes Craven has to keep making movies yeah. to keep Freddy out of our world. Um, that also wasn't successful, neither in the mouth of madness was a failure, and so was Wes Craven's New Nightmare. When but they are very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wes Craven's New Nightmare is, like, massively influential, because, like, from there you get, like, Scream and all these, uh, meta horror films that came out, and there were quite yeah. a lot that came but out the, afterwards. Scream's less literal than this. Scream is about some people who like horror films being attacked by a monster from a horror film. Yeah. But by a, a killer from a horror film, whereas uh, in in the Mouth of Madness and New Nightmare, it's actually it's in a reality has been fractured with the, our world and the world of the films have become one thing. Well, that's what the lady who's given the task of going with Sam Neill to go and find Sutter Kane starts talking about. He uh, Sam Neill's character doesn't like Sutter Kane's books and kind of he doesn't understand why people find them scary. And then on the way, she's like, yeah, but what if that was the reality? He's like, but it's not the reality. Yeah, but what if it was? What if those rules applied? And then... As as a character terrifyingly states in the film. uh, (laughs) Reality is not what it used to be. Reality is not what it used to be. Yeah. Uh, Which is... And that's the scene where they go back to the hometown, the town created by Sutter Kane in his writing. Each little bit of the film is like a vignette, a frightening vignette from a horror story. Yeah. I really love that. I love the um, the old lady who runs the hotel. Yeah, bloody who, hell. Who keeps yes. her, her husband in handcuffed naked to her leg. Yeah. The, um, and the, the Byzantine church that is assailed by angry villagers who've turned away by dogs that run out from the exit to consume them. Like, and they're the, the, in the church are their children that have been lured there and turned evil. Yeah. And, oh, what was... I just had one that was that's a bit tacky, the whole, it's mummy's day. That doesn't feel oh. like it's from a good horror story. <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> it feels like it's from Children of the Corn. Well, I like Children of the that. Corn. What's wrong with... Like, Children of the Corn are responsible for my favourite name. If I ever have a child, I'm going to call it Malachi. Oh, you bastard. It's a great name. What do you mean? That gives it gravitas. You want a powerful child. No one's going to fuck with Malachi, and then he can grow up. Oh, they'll fuck with him so much. You call Malachi. Bully the shit out of the poor bastard. Um, He'll grow up tough. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed the the script and the the dialogue and everything. It is... It's a self-aware... Story. There's lots of stuff about, um, you know, he outsells even Stephen King, which yeah. is a reference made. Um, 
And uh, I, I love the scene when Samuel's character at the beginning of the film says to the psychiatrist, you want to hear about my them, don't you? Yeah. Every schizophrenic has a them, yeah. a they, or an it, yeah. or something else, and you want to hear about mine. And, um, yeah, no, it does. The, the dialogue's great. Samuel's character is a very cynical detective character, the kind of person in a story who never believes what's going on, who, who even when he finds out is able to just toss it off lightly. And the horror of the film is that he's confronted with something that's a lot bigger than any cynicism that he has. Yeah, it's, so, like, yeah. it is the whole reality has changed, and as much as he tries to get out of it and justify it to himself, in the end, he just has to come to terms with the fact that he is in the book, and he is the character in the book, and when he does that and he's sitting there going, well, it's just been rewritten, it's because he has now become very aware that he is a character in the book and there's nothing he can do about it. Because there's a bit on the bus when he's going, when he falls asleep on the bus... I would tell you that blue was my favourite colour. Did I ever tell you my favourite colour was blue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they cut back to the film, everything's gone blue. Everyone's wearing blue, the hair's gone blue. Yeah, that is amazing. I just, I was going to say earlier on, right, one of my favourite little kind of horror tweaks in this, in this film is the picture that keeps on changing. Like in, just opposite the old, where the old lady's staying in the hotel, uh, or standing in the hotel, every time they see it, and then he kind of he starts to notice that and starts to touch it and see if the paint has dried, and then the next, the last time he looks at it, they're just beasts. Yeah, like, they're like, all the fa- the heads are deformed now, the eyes are too big. And yeah, yeah, and this, that's oh, that's great. Like, I like that. That's really unsettling. My favourite, I had said in an earlier episode when we reviewed From Beyond, which was a direct, a direct adaptation of a H.P. Lovecraft story that yeah. wasn't very good, um, as, oh. as an adaptation. As a film, you might have enjoyed it as an adaptation, it didn't really... That's great. As a film, you might have enjoyed it, you're completely cutting yourself off from that. I know, yeah. Um, but this one, I feel, is the one that I've always felt came, comes the closest to a Lovecraft film and my favourite touch in that vein and probably my favourite bit of the whole film is uh, Sam Neill comes to visit the author inside his giant Byzantine church mm. and they, they have a big dialogue scene where he, he outlines his plan and then he tears his face off but rather than revealing bone begins to rip into the edges of the universe symbolised by the fluttering pages of a book yeah. and Sam Neill walks over into the rip and stares out into the void and behind him, the assistant starts reading from the story. Apparently, what she reads is very close to the uh, the, the the words of um, the rats in the walls. Possibly, I, I think okay. it's, it's a reference to an H.P. Lovecraft story. Yeah, yeah. And it, what it says is, he looks out into nothingness and he sees the unspeakable coming towards him. And the scene breaks when he just turns and runs. Yeah. And that gets you more than anything. There's a shot uh, a few seconds later where you actually see the monsters running down a hallway towards him. And it shows that there's a squid-faced man and a fish-looking yeah, man yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. And they've, they've worked very hard and, and good luck to them. But nothing compares to the idea that he's looking outside our universe. Well, that's the... And whatever he sees, he can't come back from. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's the pure Lovecraft thing, isn't mm. it? Like, Lovecraft never really showed you the monster. He always kind of gave you a glimpse of it, and he yeah. showed you the horror on the face of the person looking at it. That's... Yeah. Um, like, when the bit that I thought was kind of most Lovecraftian was the... When he was talking about the gods from the other world, and he showed the big wooden door with just the goo seeping through the cracks and just yeah. a... I can't keep them back any longer. Yeah, we don't know what's out there, but we know it's fucking huge and very dangerous. 
the ter- the terror of Lovecraft is that you will see these things and then you can't stop seeing them. Yeah. Uh, and again, like all through it, I can think of great lines of lines of dialogue throughout the movie. Um, you know, do do you in do you like the new book? He says to a teenager after he's gone insane. He sees a teenager leaving a, a signing for Sutter Kane's new book. He said, "Did you like the book?" And the guy says, "It's it's amazing." He said, "Well, this shouldn't come as a surprise." Then and hacks into yeah. it with an axe. Yeah. Ah, oh, there was some yeah. Um, and and explicit references made to Lovecraft with uh, Sutter Kane says at one point, "I need to set the path for the old ones to come back." Yeah, yeah. Which puts this in the vein. It's basically Lovecraft fan fiction. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's, it's not a it's not a specific Lovecraft story, but it's it's like all of them molded into one, and they come out yeah. with the thing that they can film. Which Lovecraft really encouraged while he was still alive. He was a terrible racist old man, but he <laughs> did he did like it when people tried to write stuff in his vein because he he was aware that the world he created with the old ones did have it was very fertile ground. For yeah. Some Oh, I didn't know that because I knew that a lot of people did try and you know they did uh, write Lovecraftian so- uh, films songs, not Lovecraftian yeah. songs, and then the thing. Um, Neil Gaiman writes a Sherlock Holmes story set inside the Lovecraft universe. That no fun. way, yeah, that'd be quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I thought he went mad, didn't he? he? Went mad and broke and then died. Well, he was always a dick. <laughs> was he? <laughs> yeah, he was. He was an unpleasant person, but quite a good writer. Yeah. Uh, and, and not not like hugely unpleasant, just a lot of his writings uh, were quite good. The other thing I think is terrifying about Lovecraft is, uh, I said earlier that it's like an atheist nightmare. It's like if you found out that God re- was real, but rather than having this mind that knew more about existence than you and the, you know, the paths and, uh, what's the name, fate, yeah. that, that like had a path for everything in the universe, instead of that mind, it was the mind of a shark. It just wanted to, co- to consume you, you, and it wasn't any more complicated than that. Yeah. Like primeval. Yeah. And that idea is terrifying. Yeah. That loneliness. Um, yeah, also for just general horror film fans, uh, John Glover, who's the creepy man from a number of films, and David Warner from The Omen get a scene together. And uh, early on, uh, one plays The Heaven and Asylum, and the other, uh, David Warner plays a major psychiatrist. And they get a little bit just walking down the corridor together. Wow. And if you're really into horror films, you'll you know you'll jizzle. It's That's gonna great. be a uh, yeah, cool. I re- but I reckon if you're really into horror films, you've probably seen this. Yeah. Um, the new book, right? Is practically the Necronomicon. That was one of my notes. Um, because it was everyone that read it went mad, and that's pretty much what happens with the Necronomicon, isn't it? Everyone yeah. that reads it does go mad. Um, yeah. What's the the version of the Necronomicon in? Uh, Discworld is something like Armored, Crazy Armored's Book of Cat Stories. <laughs> no, I've read one disc. I've read the first Discworld book, and I really, really liked it. Mm. Um, but I never read another. Mm. Um, the, the only reason this film doesn't, I feel like, I, I like the idea that eventually we will have a great Lovecraft adaptation that'll solve it for everybody. Guillermo del Toro wants to do in the Mountains of Madness. Some stage is a project that's that's come up and fallen through over the years. He quit The Hobbit to go and do it, and then it fell through again. Oh, um, he uh, suck it, Del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom Cruise was supposed to be in it. It's you know it's it's come and gone all over through the years. The thing that stops this film from being the great Lovecraft adaptation, apart from the meta ending where the film that you're watching is the it's like a monster at the end of this book, but yeah. for adults. Um, the thing that stops it is it's too... It's an exercise in narrative formalism. Like, it's got a set-up and a, and a general... It doesn't put you off-centre enough. 
Yeah. You're always aware that what you're watching is ultimately quite a straightforward horror film with some great ideas. Yeah. But it doesn't... Audition would be a film that genuinely you're not sure where this is going. Yeah. Whereas this, you know, it's it's great and it, it's got some cool, to cool be honest, ideas. Like, I reckon Lovecraft had some pretty awesome short stories, some incredible short stories, but a whole novel I find pretty hard because... What was the one with the doctor or something or other? Uh, or some, in some prison? I can't remember. I just... I didn't get through that much of it. No one seemed to talk. It was just this big description of things that were happening. Now oh, the Edgar Allan Poe problem. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like I, 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 I'm used to now. Like I've grown up in the '90s, 2000s. Like I'm, I, I need the action. Happen. Economy of language. Stephen King, very yeah. good at that sort of thing. Although The Shining, he could have cut a lot <laughs> of that out, as Stanley Kubrick proved. Yeah. Her- um, Ambrose Bierce is one of the writers from back then who was very good at economy of language and hated um, horror stories. That were quite, he, he's the man behind an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which you don't know about it probably, but every lots of f- famous films basically rip off an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Fight wow. Club, Jacob's Ladder, uh, wow. The Sixth Sense. The, the, there's a million of them. It's, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, is there a film of it? I'll watch that. No, I don't, I don't think there ever has been an, an adaptation of an Ambrose Beer story, but he's quite straightforward. Yeah, okay, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll have a little read of that. But yeah, so I don't know if I'm looking for the Lovecraft adaptation that people want, because I don't reckon I'd enjoy it very much. What I'm looking for is like a film like this that is a straightforward, balls-out horror film, but just with a Lovecraftian flourishes all over the place. I want the audition of Lovecraft movies or the kill list of Lovecraft movies. I want the one where it does knock you out with the the revelation rather than one where it uses it in the place of Freddy Krueger or Jason. I want one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because that's true. I want one that's infected by Lovecraft. The monster in this film is the town and then it becomes the film is the monster uh, that is attacking Sam Neill. Which is great and, and very interesting, but again, yeah. does hold it back slightly. Yeah. Um, so, let's move on to our next film, um, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I apologise. <laughs> I, right, I really wanted to watch this film because when I was a kid, I used to go to the video shop and I saw all, of, like, all the video cases and one of them had... Like, Jason, Freddy, and someone else, I think it was a witch or something, or someone holding a chainsaw, and I thought, I really want to see that film, but I was too young, and I wasn't allowed. And then I found out fairly recently that it was Sleepaway Camp 2, right? And so I thought, well, while we're doing this, why don't we watch Sleepaway Camp 1? It's got a bit of a cult reputation, but my... God, what a terrible film. My first note for this one, Christ, full stop. My first note for this one is in capital letters, acting, with three exclamation marks. But I feel that's (laughs) that's cruel, because... uh, We'll we'll explain the plot, because that will take ten seconds. Yeah. Okay? You've got, uh, at the start of the film, some people are killed in a water skiing accident. Then there's a, a kid's summer camp where everyone's being killed... Uh, by some sort oh, of serial eight, killer. Eight years later, there's the... Yeah, eight years later. Otherwise, it's not going to make any sense. <laughs> eight years later, there's a serial killer. Then, at the end of the film, we find out that the killer is a very shy little girl who turns out to have been a boy all along. A hissing 
boy. This one, I finished it angry. Angry I, at the world. Right, this this really could have been an eight minute long film. They tried to put some weird stuff in there. Like when the when somebody tried to make out with the girl that's actually a boy, they cut to seeing two men making out in uh, a bed. The, the point of that was backstory. Uh, the idea was that her dad had been gay, which of course sowed the seeds to her going crazy, because as we know... Uh, gay people only destroy children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Reinforced by this. All, like, that stuck out for me because the horrifying image that she was raised by these two perverts was yeah. two men just sort of cradling each other yeah. in bed and seeming quite in love. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, the, I, film, the film wanted you to be disgusted by that based on what it wanted to imply. Yeah. It didn't work. This film is a massive, like, it's, it's got the homophobic stuff, it's got the racist stuff, where the chefs and the cook, wow, thank you, master, the, the black guys in the kitchen have yeah, got that played southern... by, I might be wrong by the, about this, but I, I read this on Wikipedia, James Earl Jones' dad. No. Yeah. Oh, I am sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. Simba's um, father is very sad. There's a lot of, uh, like, there's that one weird guy that runs the camp, he's very muscly, he's always wearing very tight shorts and standing sideways, so you can basically see his crutch bulge, yeah. uh, that's happening all over the place. There's a there's a great comedy movie, really like awesome one, that, that I was really surprised, came out of nowhere, called uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, it's great. Uh, that that yeah. takes tons from this. Clearly they're very big fans of this film, and yeah. God love them, because I couldn't manage watching it more than once. Yeah. Um, it feels like someone's filmed a grade six play from a distance. Yeah. Only for a grade six play, two of the ca- characters are both adults and pedophiles. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, there's there's a, it's a real rapey vibe happening with those with those kids, and when the chef yeah. does try and rape um, the murderer. Yeah. Uh, there's all right. So let's and also as a, as a horror film. Hardly anyone dies. No, I know. I I wanted a lot more dying. But they are good deaths. Alright? Like, they're good horror film deaths. The first one, the chef that tries to... Or head cook, I should say. Who tries to rape um, the young girl who's already said... um, Was it... uh, I believe there's a... No, I'll, I'll find what he says and I'll put it in here. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Your mouth water, don't it? Artie, they're too young to even understand what's on your mind. Then, good buddy, there ain't no such thing as being too young. You're just too old. <laughs> right, he says that, and it's awful. Something about them being having bald vaginas. We call them baldies or something like that. 
It's awful. Um, he's cooking a massive, incredibly, unbelievably big pot of boiling water that I don't think that you would... Well, use. you know what children love. Boiling water. <laughs> boiling water. And, uh, like, she knocks him into that so that he falls over and it falls over him. And it's the longest scream I think I've heard. It's just going, ah, ah, for... It's like, are, you, are we still on this? What's? Why are we still on this? Yeah. Um, and then there's like I, one of some of them I don't get. She picks up a hair curler and burns someone, and then that person just dies. Uh, I, on Wikipedia, they said she's raped to death with a curling iron. Didn't get that from the no, film. No, I mean, that's that not made really clear, and I don't. Someone writing for Wikipedia has embellished. <laughs> Unless we saw a, an edited version. But yeah, no, in one you could see it going in and everything. And <laughs> yeah, oh, the burning. Yeah. You can smell the cauterisation. The only way you could think about this as actually a horror film if, is if the scariest thing you can imagine is you try to have sex with a girl and then she turns out to be a boy. And yeah. if that's the scariest thing, you can honestly imagine the world you have no imagination. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot. There's more terrible things out there. Like watching this film. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's um, like the the final shot of the film is the the very shy girl who's just murdered the very nice boy who uh, wanted to be friends with her, just standing there with with her penis out. Yeah. Uh, hissing. Mm. But just before that, just before it gets to like we, we're creeping up behind she's sitting on the beach we don't know the head's decapitated yet or we do but the people sneaking up don't and we're, put, we're from their point of view it then cuts back to a memory of her auntie who's raised her saying or him saying oh look a lovely girl we don't want another boy we've got a boy it's a lovely girl let's have the lovely girl and then it cuts back and she stands up and she's going and it's got a penis. Yeah. So, like, like I do want to... Because I think there's a good horror movie to be made out of the idea of gender dysphoria because it taps into something that everybody finds relatable, which is the terror of looking in a mirror and whoever looks back, the person looking back doesn't seem right. Or yeah. It isn't you. And that's certainly something that, that you could you could latch onto. And I'm not going <coughs> to give this film a pass because it came out in 1983... So, as far as, like, interesting films about gender, we're going to do It's Alive, which came out in 1974. Yeah. And David Cronenbergen made, like, eight films by this point. So, it doesn't get a pass. Yeah. On even The Thing is an interesting film when you get down to its all-male cast being up there in the ice, being invaded by outsiders. Like, there are so many interesting things you can do. Yeah. And with this film, all it wants for motivation for someone to hack a bunch of people to death at a school camp 
is that she's the wrong gender. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. That's enough to well, become a murderer. It made... Uh, it's saying she's the wrong gender, but forced to be raised... Like, she's saying he's a boy, but forced to be mm. raised as a girl. Reminds me of The Wasp Factory, Ian Banks. It's a book where... I'm not going to give it away too much. Oh. <laughs> um, but... Just read it, and it has it has a really interesting, great character in it that, uh, and it does deal with the issue of um, uh, being being raised uh, one sex but being another, and not really having a choice in it, and not really knowing who mm. you are, and um, the the person in it is a little disturbed by what's happened. Yeah. A little disturbed, but the problem was for so long. Um, oh, there's a Brian De Palma film, Dress to Kill. Yeah, that has that as basically the motivation, and it happens in Psycho. But there's a lot more wrong with Norman Bates. Yeah, there's than a just, lot more because he puts on a dress, but he when he puts on the dress, he thinks he's his own mother. Yeah, like there's a lot going wrong. Yeah, the birth of it, I guess, is was in Ed Gein, the uh, Wisconsin murderer, who made a woman's suit out of bits of dead people that he dug up. Now yeah. I'm saying murderer. That's very important. Not technically a serial killer because I think he only killed two people. Yeah. And, but, yeah, that was... And if you read a history of Ed Gein and the terrible things that he did, they found a, a, a matchbox full of eight salted vaginas on his mantelpiece. Like, ew. So if you can read the whole story of Ed Gein and the most fucked up thing you can think about him is he kind of sometimes thought he was a lady. Yeah. That must have you been what made him do it. that story. Yeah. Like, that is... You've not learned anything. Yeah. Um, Alright, so a couple of things I want to say about this film. Uh, and it's just an OHS issue, really. Um... <laughs> Like, they were uh, playing with water balloons on a slanted roof. Yeah. And I didn't see any, ho- any anything attaching them to anything. They were just... When it was getting it wet, that would have been slippy. They would have fallen <laughs> off and hurt themselves. All right? They're actors. Well, they are being... They are being actors in this film. They probably wouldn't mm. have to go on and get proper jobs. Because um, they were could have been terrible. Could have been very badly injured. Could have all fallen off the roof and hurt themselves. And also, another thing, right at the very beginning, the guy who runs the camp smoking a cigar in the kitchen. Ah, disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I also want to say... Um, <laughs> oh, wait, can I... One more, one more, yeah, one more. Yeah. Um, all right, so the policeman that turns up to deal with everything has the fakest moustache I've ever seen in my life. Like, and I, I, I'm including ones that you buy from a shop to look fake. It is basically... Black sellotape stuck to his top lip. It is incredible. I was watching it thinking, how do they think they're going to get away with that? Well, I know how, by making the rest of the film so unbelievably crap mm. that no one's going to notice. Uh, and I don't, yeah, I, I remember reading a review of another comedian that said at the start of the review, look, this is going to sound like this is so bad, it's good, and you have to check it out. Yeah. And I want you to understand that that's, please don't go and see this show. Let me just reappropriate that for this film. It's unwatchable. It is. It um, is. Though I will, I will say one thing. Um, uh, for a film about like a summer camp full of kids, actual children in a lot of it, and actual children acting in it. Yeah. Uh, which sounds like a great thing, and you could probably make a very, very good horror film with that, just using naturalistic child performances. Yeah. This film doesn't. It makes them just say the shitty dialogue in the script. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Say the words, child. It's not. It's no Bugsy Malone. But props <laughs> for that. Yeah. Let's get a chance. All right. So that is uh, Sleepaway Camp. Um, yeah. Not recommended. But like I don't know if you yeah if you're gonna get we're drunk gonna with some mates like and snag off a film yeah we 
that is the problem with horror films sometimes is people sort of think they hate horror films because when they go, oh, I'm going to watch a horror film. Oh, oh this is a camp slasher film. I watch that. Oh, horror films are rubbish. Mm. So because it's quite boring. But I think what you said is, is a big part of this. Like when I was a kid, this is what Sleepaway Camp reminded me of, is going to the video store and seeing all the VHS covers in the horror section. Yeah. And because every time I'd seen a good horror film, it had just been some dirty cassette from the back of the thing. Yeah. I'd be like, I want to, you know, I'll check this out. Maybe it's okay. And the, yeah. the front cover of this is a, a hunting knife going through a kid's tennis shoe with yeah. blood coming out. Yeah. Like they've stabbed the tennis shoe and killed it. Yeah. And, and you'd think, <laughs> oh, maybe this is all right. And you'd waste a lot of life. Watching, yeah. watching films like this. Yeah, and oh. getting slightly bored. And there's usually the director has enough grace because he knows it's going to be mostly teenage boys. Uh, well, they know it's mostly going to be teenage boys watching this to chuck in a few boobs here and there. Yeah. Fortunately, Not... this one doesn't have boobs because a lot of the girls are very, very young. Yeah, yeah, that would, be, that would you know, be pretty disturbing. But to put some older girls in so we do get to see a couple of boobs at some yeah. point might have been appreciated. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Um, so let's move on to our final film for this week, and it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Um, uh, I, I, well, look, uh, some moments of this film were quite boring. Yeah. Um, but there were some moments that were pretty good. I wasn't too enamoured. I was quite impressed with the dialogue. Yeah, holy shit. It's a it's a really well-written film. Um, yeah. Do you want to... Could you do the synopsis? You do the synopsis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a guy, um, a, a successful PR executive, and his wife are having a baby. They're, they're quite excited, you know, at this point. She's, she just found out. They send their kid to a friend to stay while she's having it. They go to the hospital uh, for her to, you know, give birth. Um... Baby gets out, kills all the nurses in the room, is horribly deformed, apparently, and escapes. Yeah. So we've got, we've, we've kicked off with a hell of a premise. Yeah. The baby wanders all over Los Angeles, popping out of storm drains and killing people, while the father angrily denies paternity yeah. and says, this isn't part of us, it's just a horrible thing that has happened. At the end of the film, seeing his wounded, mutated offspring uh, sadly dying in a sewer, he finally feels fatherly compassion, gathers it up in his coat, takes it out of the sewer and begs for them to save it. Unfortunately, an angry doctor demands they all kill it, and the baby, in one final burst of strength, launches itself at the doctor and is gunned down by police. Yeah. They go away in a cop car. <coughs> they good. go away in a cop car, and the police, the uh, chief of police says grimly, they've just had another one born in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah, this is... Um, this is a film I completely agree with your assessment of this one. It is a combination of some great bits yeah. uh, with some very boring sequences of people wandering around in the dark and you yeah. don't know where they are. It suffers from uh, quite a uh, like something that Cronenberg on his uh, on his lesser days suffers from as well. It's too yeah. many, it's too dark, and too many people just talking like this. But uh, the the writer and director of it is a guy called Larry Cohen, who yeah. is the king of. He, he directs a lot of. B-movies and stuff, he's been involved, and he's the king of an awesome premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a great premise for a film. Some of the films that you may have heard of, he did Phone Booth with Colin Farrell. He wrote the script for that, which okay. was about a man trapped in a phone booth with a man who says, if you 
move or let anyone know what's happening. I'm a sniper's watching him. I'm going to shoot people. Yeah. Uh, so we, the whole film plays out in the phone booth. Uh, yes. Cellular, which was about a, a man who gets a call from a trapped woman that says, please come and help me. I don't know who you are. And he has to run around LA trying to find her. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he sort of is a king of the premise and a great dialogue writer, a great... The scenes in the movie are often very good, even if the movie as a whole doesn't quite. Yeah, work. yeah. Which is this? Like the dialogue was amazing when the when the father to be is standing looking at the children and he's talking about uh, calling the children like yens and babes or something. Uh, but, yeah, the Gaelic expression. Yeah, and then the nurse is like, "Oh yeah, I know what you mean." It's like, "Oh, so what? You you the Irish is like, no, I'm Scottish. Come on, you got to come with me." But there's a beautiful yeah. there. It's realistic, especially I watched this just after watching camp, uh, Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> so see, hearing people talk in a natural, real way just blew my mind. Mm. Cohen was a big fan of improvisation uh, when they were filming. He, he filmed ah. for a lot of very low-budget companies. This one, I think, was a little bit higher. This was Warner Brothers or somebody's yeah. first show, but usually worked for Roger Corman. But he would use what money they have to extend filming times so they could get more takes because he liked the energy yeah. and more improvised sequences. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, I like the, uh, the use of... The double vision being from the child's point of view. There's a lot of stuff that's filmed from the child's point of view, and you know it is because it kind of goes a little bit. Well, it's like you're crossing your eyes, basically. You're cross eyed, <laughs> and that's how the child's meant to see. Um, I found it very strange the way everyone just bought into it straight away. Yeah, no, the, um, the film lets you know as soon as the child is born and murders everyone in the hospital. Uh, everyone immediately says there's a mutant baby out there killing people and there's no yeah. more discussion on that. Maybe it's somebody else or whatever. Yeah. Which I appreciate because as we review these films, a lot of films spend a lot of time on that bit of the movie where yeah. everyone tries to convince each other that it's it's really ghosts or it's really vampires or it's really werewolves. In this film, everyone's like, no, it's a crazy mutant baby with big teeth <laughs> that's killing us. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it cuts out a lot of the, no, but I've seen it do this and no, you haven't. Uh, this, yeah, it was genuinely like, there's a tiny hole in the roof and there's a baby missing. It must have been the baby. <laughs> it's like, but there's a door here. No one came out that door. It was the baby. Face it. Okay. What, what I was thinking about that was, um, uh, like, you find out very early on in the film what's been going on, but also if you'd seen a trailer or a poster for the film, you would have already known. It's the film about the killer baby. Yeah. So, yeah, it's fine for the audience. It's not like we needed any more convincing. We know what that... That's what the film is about. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not gonna. They're not gonna chuck in a werewolf or anything in there. It is the the mutant killer baby. And you see bits, flashes of the mutant killer baby, and then you see. Uh, it's it's you you see it uh, in wide, and it's crap. Um, unfortunately, uh, made by Rick Baker, who uh, is responsible for many great makeup effects. Did a little bit of the thing, oh, okay, I believe, and American Werewolf in London. Ah, uh, great, great. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So he had to start there. somewhere, and sadly, this this was one of them. The mutant baby. There's a He's hamstrung by the fact it's called a mutant baby. Apparently, the me- remake isn't worth <laughs> looking at. Already, well, maybe for the mutant baby, maybe we'll have a look and just have a look yeah. and see, but. I don't think generally I wouldn't watch it. Um, there's, a, there's a great little bit of, uh, of uh, horror dialogue I'd love to put in uh, about the um, the doctor runs into the room and they're trying to figure out what's happened to all of the dead nurses while the wife lies screaming on the table and it's the umbilical cord's been severed but not surgically. Looks like it's been chewed off. The umbilical cord's been severed but not surgically. It looks like it's been chewed off. Where's the 
Uh, that, that just says, strap yourself in. This is where this is going. I really like that. Um, and it, the fact that it, it leaps at everyone's throat. And that horrible crying noise it makes. Mm. No, but in, in general, it does have... Like I've, I've said all along, uh, that the sign of a, of a good horror film is that the dialogue belongs to it. It's got, it's got yeah. dialogue that is absolutely fine. And this has some... Some great stuff. When the the father walks back in after being attacked by the press, who want to know everything, and he walks into the room with his wife and says, "Can you imagine that they're trying to blame us?" And she says, "Well, we are the parents," yeah. which is is something you can imagine, like to draw a very horrible comparison. But you know, when a kid goes on like a shooting spree at his school, yeah, yeah, they don't, and they, and they say, "Why are they trying to blame us?" Because our kids murdered a whole bunch of people and. In the eyes of everyone else, we're responsible. You are the parents. And also, yeah. on a lesser extreme, when kids are doing badly at school and stuff, you know, they are just going on being, uh, beating kids up or petty theft. It's the parents. People yeah. blame the parents. I'm yeah. not a parent, so I also blame the parents. And the fi- the I film, blame my parents. Yeah, the film keeps trying to find interesting stuff to do with the concept beyond just having a mutant baby running around killing people, which is for the best, because the bits where the baby's kind of doing that, yeah. not that great. There's a bit with some cops in a, in a primary school that's pretty cool. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. It's, it's, it's not handled that well. But uh, the man gets fired from his PR job because yeah. it's now publicly known that he's had a mutant baby that kills people. The and nurse tries to sneak an interview out yeah. of the mum. Like People aren't very sympathetic. This is very much a, uh, but aren't humans the real monster kind of yeah. film. And an accurate one. Like That is true. Uh, again, to draw the comparison of the school shootings, you can imagine all of that yeah. happening. Uh, the father getting fined, though, has a, has a great sequence where the CEO of the, the PR company is trying to explain to him why he's being fired and says, well, you know, Cooper's got a retarded kid that he insists on keeping in the house. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it really well, gets across what the film's about. He's it's not about firing him, is he? He's, he's firing him, but he's not saying, I'm firing you. He's like, hey, take your holiday. You've got three weeks You holiday. know, come back when this is sorted out and everything. And after he leaves the room, he says, send his personal things home. He's yeah, yeah. Yeah, fuck. Uh, yeah, and when he's saying... Um, because he's kind of, he's like, what do I do? Uh, the press, uh, everywhere I go, I've got a microphone sticking in my face. And his boss is like, you need a good PR firm. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, yeah. yeah. There is, there's, there's humour in the film, uh, mostly because it's a very grim subject. The idea that you, you know, the fear of fatherhood giving birth to monsters. Yeah. We need to talk about Kevin, but about fathers, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's still some humour in it. There's a great bit where, because they know a mutant baby's running around killing people, but they don't know what it looks like. No one's got a good look. There's a scene of police pointing guns at a baby in a sand pit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is quite good. And also, in the scene where the police try to find the baby at a primary school, uh, a policeman has to try to drink out of a child's water fountain. Yeah. Which I, I love that they kept that in, because it's such a beautiful little detail. It's like, I'm feeling a bit thirsty. Yeah. No one's looking. <laughs> Just like, yeah. crouch down. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, then there's a bit where... He, the uh, the dad, oh, when the mum's giving birth and she's like, oh, are you ready this time? Are you going to feel trapped like last time? Mm. So that is really kind of like the fear of childbirth. Like the first child he obviously felt trapped by, but now he loves completely. Mm. And then the second one was coming along and she was like, oh, but is it going to be a terrible thing that happens because you don't want another child? And then it kind of does turn out that she loves it and he doesn't. Yeah. It is a film, it's a film about... Uh children and, and, and breeding from 
the father's perspective, which is which is important because there are horror films that, that take more of a motherly perspective. Yeah. Rosemary's Baby, the fear of your own offspring. This yeah. one's closer to a razor head and the the unwanted child in that. It's it's the fear that your child's well, Oedipal almost that yeah. your child wants to kill you or wants to usurp you and that you don't want. In yeah, part. it's a in, in primal animal terms, it's that you've given birth to a rival. Yeah, because um, she says it was a boy. Yeah, so it is a rival. Yeah, but the, uh, the there is as another little bit of dialogue I'd love to put in here is that his speech about the Frankenstein monster. And yeah, he says when I was at primary school, I thought the monster was borrowed. Um, Boris Karloff? Yeah, yeah, Boris Karloff stomping around. It was when I was older. I read the book and I saw that the monster is the creator. When I was a kid, I always thought the monster was Frankenstein. You know, Karloff walking around in these big shoes, grunting. I thought he was Frankenstein. Then I went to high school and I read the book, and I realized that Frankenstein was the doctor who created him. Somehow the identities get all mixed up, don't they? One must not allow oneself to be impressed by escapist fiction. And it's yeah. him talking about himself. Like, it can't, the thing out there, it doesn't know what it's doing. It's just this thing. But yeah. So it's him. He's the monster yeah. that created this the identity abomination that's going around and killing all these people. Yeah, and the, and the scene where he does decide to save the child is, is quite well done. He says yeah. to it, don't cry. If you cry, they'll hear you. Yeah, um, well, and which he, he has to do to a thing that looks like a melted sock puppet. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> but he played it well. Like the acting in this is superb. He actually starts to like they're proper tears falling out of his eyes. There, that's good acting skills. This, this is the films of Larry Cohen would have to be a major influence on Tarantino. Yeah, I'd say looking at because it it does seem that to to give ordinary people that are plot points in a genre film proper dialogue to care about the characters yeah, to, to give yeah. them a point beyond the film I think it's very important also uh, I love uh, Milkman gets murdered at one point yeah. film, which is the most 70s death possible yeah <laughs> dragged into the back and then the, the milk turns pink like yeah. strawberry milk it's, yeah. a, it's a good thing he got murdered because seconds later he was going to be having sex with someone's wife <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> halfway through a confessions film <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's confessions merges with it's alive <laughs> confessions of a milkman I got eaten by a baby, baby. <laughs> uh, oh, let's not do that oh, they are horrible films <laughs> yeah the mother character is a bit two dimensional but you can give that a pass on the basis that she gets she's just had a monster tear its way through her pelvis she's, yeah. she's fine leave her be she's, she's, and she's suffering with people trying to uh, interview her and she can't trust anyone and she keeps on being given drugs I like the say, I like the, when she says um, about the drugs uh, the doctor says have you been taking your pills and she said well I thought that maybe it was the pills that did this to us uh, that created the baby in the first place so it's like ooh there's lots of references to that there's certainly the child in they say didn't you try to have an abortion you took an interview with an abortion doctor and he says but nowadays doesn't everyone you want to look at your options right? yeah so it does like there's there's a lot of that kind of thing on but I admire the film for it would have been terrible if the film would try to say something about that. Yeah. It puts that information in there just as background. Yeah. You know, and also to provide it maybe 
the creature is a re- the result of that. There's a speech early on that in the hospital, uh, a pest killer talks about how they had this gas that killed roaches. Yeah. And all that meant was there were better roaches. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's a really good speech. Yeah. So the film's drawing that line, but it doesn't have an opinion on it beyond that. It's just saying maybe that's why this thing's here. It's more interested in what's actually happening to this family yeah. and to this guy. And yeah, and it's saying here, uh, you've got to have your options. It's saying here are some of the options that might have happened to it. Um, there's the, when, the, when the detective asks if they've been near any radioactive stuff recently... Yeah. And do you know if this film came out near or around the time of the thalidomide um, scandal? I, I don't know. Uh, thalidomide? I don't think the, the case had finished yet. So it, it might have been about that, but they hadn't actually had the conclusive thing when they said this was caused by thalidomide. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, okay. Yeah, but it's, it, it's good inspiration for a horror film, anyway. Oh, yeah, that 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 had a that had a big impact. I'm on terrified the of fatherhood in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, it's such like, yeah. I've got a I've got a stand up bit about it, but I, yeah, like my idea about uh, a pregnancy and having children. The reason I'm disgusted by it and everyone else is okay with it is because it's an internal process. It happens inside a lady's tummy. So we're like, okay, that's fine. It happens in there. It's okay. But if it was an external process, yeah. if we had to make babies in a bathtub and then just lock the door and come back nine <laughs> months later and find the thing that we're grown, like crawling out, yeah. like screaming, we wouldn't want any part of it. No, no. Like, but people still brew their own beer. <laughs> Basically, baby. Yeah, basically. Um, Yeah, Um, and also the fact that you know we're uh, both comedians at the beginning of our career. Yeah, and there's no way we could pay for children. Not at all. They're so expensive. Trainers cost a fortune these days. You can't. You can't. You can't shop. You can't clothe a baby in vintage clothes from downtown op shops, can you? These kids and their Eye River music players. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other interesting detail about this film was it was a flop when it came out in 1974. Yeah. Then four years later, they re-released it with a trailer that focused around a creepy baby. Mm. And massive hit. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, re- yeah. Um, we're all terrified of children. Just look at them. We yeah. feel so guilty because we've fucked everything up and now they're angry. Yeah, first we're terrified of having them, then we're terrified of breaking them. Mm. And then we all feel like we've let them down. I think that's parenthood, isn't it? Yeah, there's a line in the film about, you know, look out there in the smog. It doesn't matter if we breathe it or eat it. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, um, yeah, so there are the films for this week. Yeah? Uh, that's a good little selection. Um, I've got a few bits and pieces for the end. I could a few mentions. Um, to one to Beardy Freak, uh, thanks for um, recommending us. And uh, check out his website. I should have written down the website thing, but look up um, at Grindhouse Dave on Twitter and check out his website. It's really good. Uh, it's good horror film reviews and stuff. Um, I want to try out. There's a, a zombie film, Dead or Alive. Show that film. Uh, I know there's there's two kind of films called Dead or Alive. One is written by the guy who did Aliens. It's probably that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to review that because yeah. that's another video shop. Uh, classic of mine that mm. I used to see all the time and think that film must be amazing yeah. Dan O'Bannon was one of the guy I wrote it I think yeah. okay cool alright well we'll have to we'll have to see it um, and oh and yeah we'll just mention in general the horror film 
community has been very welcoming. It's yeah, really nice. Yeah, to us and everything. Yeah, yeah. hi guys. Um, yeah, well, I put a, a, a request out the other day for uh, like horror films around a, a theme of like a specific day, and uh, actually Heather Day um, came to my rescue and recommended the film I was going to watch. I can't remember what it is now. But she recommended Terror Train was one, which yeah. was the one I picked. That's when you're going to do, isn't it? But yeah. that brings us on the sub onto the subject of next week. Next week is going to be a big one, yeah. right? We have um, a couple of friends who really want to be involved, and so we are doing a big four, big four way, big horror four way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the theme of the films is. Seasonal, so uh, uh, Halloween, New Year's Eve, Christmas, um, uh, President's Day. I don't, is there a President's Day one? I don't. I, I, I think no. Mine's Fourth of July. Uncle yeah. Sam. Yeah, we got a we got a Fourth of July. Um, yeah, I was hoping. I, I was hoping for a Queen's Birthday horror film. Hasn't been done yet. No, um, not yet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Melbourne Cup Day. I think that's just every year, isn't it? That's a, the, the, the everyone gets killed by, by an undead horse. An undead horse or a, a mutant corgi. Um, all right, so the list is Terror Train, Uncle Sam, Long Weekend, and Christmas Evil. I'm looking forward to Long Weekend. That's a proper Australian film. Yeah, we're it? our first Australian film. First yeah. proper one. There's, I think we've done one that was like half Australian funded or something. But yeah. Proper Aussie, mate. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, once again, uh, thank you for listening. If you want to chat to us on Twitter, uh, we're, we're very very receptive um, it's at horrorpod um, yeah come say hello uh, thank you very much for listening and goodbye good night Shouldn't come as a surprise.